We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Golden today. This man thought the state fair could take priority over the Indiana Pacers. Not happening on my watch. The show must go on. So we got a fun episode for you today. Evan Damrell, co-host of Locked On Cavs, coming on the show to break down what I view as probably the best remaining free agent left in Colin Sexton. Does it make sense for Sexton to join the Pacers? Does it not? We're going to break down what we like, what we don't like, the fit with Tyrese Halliburton. Because if you're with me, I don't want to take the ball out of Tyrese's hand. So I got to know, can this fit work? We're also going to be discussing much more. So why have me ruin it for you when I can just bring on Evan himself? We will be right back. Stay tuned. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, we now welcome on Evan Demerol, co-host of Locked on Cavs, editor of Fear the Sword, and covering Cleveland sports at large for Meta Bulletins right down Euclid. Evan, what's going on? Not too much, man. Thanks for having me. How are you doing this week? I'm doing great. I mean, look, it's a down time in the NBA right now. I mean, it just feels like the tumbleweed is blowing left and right. Nothing's happening other than Kevin Durant still complaining, but... We got two teams to talk about, the Cavs and the Pacers, two teams that have been linked over the past, you know, however many months. But there's one player that in specific we want to discuss today. That's Colin Sexton. So I thought, who better than Evan to bring on to be able to break down Colin's game? And if it made sense, you know, to to join the Indiana Pacers for Colin Sexton. So, Evan, let's start from the top. Colin Sexton, former eighth overall pick a restricted free agent who I would say is arguably the best free agent left on the market, who also has essentially zero market at all. Is it safe to say, given teams maybe lack of cap space, the torn meniscus in his left knee, that maybe Sexton's value is arguably lower than it will ever be at this exact moment? I think, yeah, lower than it will ever be is a good way to put it right now. And I think a lot of it does have to do with that torn meniscus, as you mentioned. I think... It's tough because, like you said, there's no market for him right now at this time. I think there's always been an interest from the Cavs side of things. Teams like the Pacers have shown interest in the past as well. Teams like the Pistons showed interest before they kind of just took all of New York's bad contracts so that they could, so the Knicks go get Jalen Brunson. There's a lot of uh, teams like Dallas as well. There's a lot of teams that were interested in signing Colin or trying to acquire him in restricted free agency, but there's a lot of uncertainties around him because at his core, at his essence, he's a bona fide three-level scorer, but he doesn't give you much more than that. He's a 6-1 shooting guard who doesn't play defense very well, and I think you have to find specific ways to use him. A lot of teams that I've talked to and a lot of just folks that are probably better covering the game than I am kind of view him as like a hypercharged six-man just because of his age and athleticism, but... There's a lot of fair questions about him because he's never been in a winning situation in the NBA. And because of that torn meniscus, he kind of lost that opportunity to 
showcase that ability. Like, this is how I can contribute. This is how I can ball out. This is how I can be a winning player on a winning team like the Cavs were last season. And there was a lot of points the Cavs could have used him last year, especially when their offense really bogged down. They played top defensive teams, whether it was Miami, Milwaukee, I mean, Utah gave them some trouble at times too. There's a lot of ways to kind of look at this, but just unfortunately, I think there's a lot of hesitation because of those things. Like he, is he a winning player? Is he not a winning player? We don't know what he looks like in that scenario. And the meniscus injury from what I've gathered was a pretty gnarly one. Like he took a while to kind of fully get back to the court. Like there were videos he was posting on, whether it was like Instagram, I think TikTok, Twitter, you name it, of just him like doing dunks. And then soon after the fact, you see him wearing a knee brace again. Like, He's slowly getting his way back to the court, and the other night he was supposed to play in a like just a showcase in Miami with just other pro players, but it was shut down because of the humidity on the court. But it it's been up until this point where he has not really played any legitimate basketball, so I think there are reservations about his knee, and I think having Rich Paul as his agent too kind of makes the negotiations a little tricky as well because Rich wants to get starting guard money for Colin because they view him as that type of player. So yeah, the uh, the market is really dried up. And as you kind of mentioned at the top, most of the league's cap space is dried up with it. Like the Cavs are kind of up against the uh, luxury tax threshold right now. So there's only so much they can give him. And then there's teams like Indiana, there's teams like San Antonio who could probably give him the money he's looking for. But if you're the Pacers or if you're the Spurs, do you really want to allocate all that money financially to one guy where there's just so much uncertainty around him heading into just this point in the summer and then this upcoming season as well. Yeah, I mean, a lot to digest there. You know, you, you covered quite a bit, and I think it was all accurate stuff because I think that Colin Sexton is the classic guy. If you just judged off of a box score, you'd be like, this guy's electric. You're talking about a guy who just averaged 24 points per game his last season when he was healthy. But the questions about his defense have always been there. Then also, I mean, look, yeah, they might call it positionless basketball, but call it like it is. This guy's listed as 6'1". He could be six feet. He's an undersized guard. So when you're talking about trying to see himself as a starting point guard, I do believe that he he does see himself as a starting point guard. But when you talk about a, a six-man role, that's where I really think he's going to have to carve out his role in the NBA because there's been teams that have had doubts about him from day one, and no one's ever doubted his scoring. But there's so much more to the game because I've always felt that he's an empty scorer, a guy who puts up 24, 25 points in a loss. But now last year you saw the Cavs were a much better team and he only played 11 games. And then the player that they end up rewarding with a five-year, $190 million contract is Darius Garland when it always felt like they wanted to see who was going to be the guy that was going to you know rise to the top between those two. And yet we've heard the rumored offer for Sexton is, basically about a fifth of that, a three-year, $40 million deal. Do you believe, is is there truth to those rumors in that offer? Yeah, there, there is some truth. I, I, I Chris Fedor from Cleveland.com first reported it, and then I more or less heard it from Colin's side of things and also from the Cavs' side of things, that, that that's the ballpark number. And a lot of folks were surprised by the sticker shock value because for context, the season before or the offseason prior to that, he was offered Bogdan Bogdanovich money as like a base, which I think is like 18.5 million. Mm-hmm. And then 
there was opportunities to escalate that up into the twenties or so. And so like roughly it'd be like a five year, 100 million deal. And Sexton's camp said, listen, at the peak, we want four years, a hundred million, obviously 25 million a year. And then the Cavs weren't obviously comfortable with that just because that's, that's a dramatic shift from the 18.5 to 20 range right there. So Colin turned it down, bet on himself and unfortunately hurt himself in the process. And I think it's just the market kind of shaking itself out for him where it's now two off seasons in a row where no team has really like jumped over themselves to go acquire Colin Sexton. It's also two off seasons in a row. The Cavs have been bent over backwards to sign Colin Sexton immediately, because if you look at Darius Garland, like you said, they signed him to a rookie scale contract, max contract extension. The off season prior, they signed Jared Allen to a five-year $100 million contract. Like they they prioritize those two because those are your two kind of core guys alongside Evan Mobley to form that pseudo big three Cleveland's built where they're like, okay, we're going to lock up our franchise cornerstones right away. And they viewed Sexton in that life for a little bit, but I think things shifted a lot. I think obviously basketball isn't, isn't a static sport. The NBA is in a static league. It's very dynamic. Things change constantly. And I think then things shifted a little bit from Colin where he's kind of viewed as like this core like piece to your young foundation to like he yeah we'd love to have him yes he's part of what we're building in terms of just a youth movement here but like is he expendable yes and I I say this a lot like if your name isn't Darius Garland or Jared Allen or Evan Mobley because you have to specify now because there's two Mobleys on the roster um you're expendable to this Cavs team I think Larry Markinen I know I saw Chris Fjord reported this as well Larry Markinen has kind of penciled himself in a little bit I, I don't know the 100% the validity of that just because how Chicago viewed him and how like other teams in the league aren't necessarily jumping and bending over backwards to sign Larry Markinen last offseason but that's another can of worms for another day. So for in terms of Colin, like I said, there's a lot of sticker shock value when that first number was reported and floated. But the way it was described to me was it was a little inauthentic, a little um, premature, I guess I want to say, where the number doesn't necessarily matter. That's just the maximum amount dollar-wise Cleveland could offer at this point due to them being about 13-ish million. I think it's like 13.3 to 13.5 million from the luxury tax threshold. And if you're the Cavs, one, you're not going to go over into that into that range in luxury tax to sign Colin Sexton. Like most teams like the Pacers and Spurs aren't going to spend a ton of money and allocate a ton of financial assets to Colin Sexton. And they're also not going to, or looking at least to go into luxury tax threshold right now because they're not necessarily an Eastern Conference contender. I think they are a playoff hopeful. I think the Eastern Conference has gotten a lot better. Uh, what Brooklyn does could kind of shift things up a little bit too. But it's 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 tricky to say the least what's going to happen. But it wasn't ever a point of disrespect. Like the Cavs have delivered a ton of lip service publicly. Like the Kobe Altman, the president of basketball operations, said at the end of the season during his exit interview that hey. We really want Colin back. And then, and like emphatically, like stated that point over and over again. And then Colin spoke to the media for the first time since 10 games into the season with it during his exit interview, saying the feeling is mutual. Yeah, I'd love to be back. I think there's a lot of unfinished business here. I want to prove my worth. I want to be part of a winning team like this. I want to be part of what we built. Like they're all saying all the right things. I don't think there's any animosity between either side. It's just trying to find that middle ground. And it's just tough because that 13-ish million is all Cleveland could offer. They also have 15 guaranteed contracts on their payroll right now. So 
yes, heading into training camp, you can have 20 guys on your roster, but you still have to cut down somewhere or make a trade somewhere. And I think you could find more of that financial wiggle room if you're like to say, get rid of Jetty Osmond or get rid of Dylan Windler or even Lamar Stevens or Dean Wade is like those four names at the back end of the rotation that you could kind of just cut bait with to make space for Sexton and also give him a little more financial wiggle room to give him what he wants. I, I just think it's going to be very tough for Sexton to be able to get the deal that he wants right now. And his best bet might be just taking that qualifying offer, coming back and being able to hopefully, you know, showcase as much talent as he can and, and, and hit free agency next year when more teams have that cap space. But two teams you touched on, the Pacers, the Spurs, those are the teams that financially are able to give Sexton what he wants. The Pacers... Unfortunately, were left out in the rain in their pursuit for DeAndre Ayton. They were able to create roughly $31.5 million in cap space. Uh, they still have one open roster spot. However, I would like to hear from you. You know, How do you view the Sexton and Pacers fit? Because one thing I want to touch on, while we might have talked about some of the downside to his game, there's also a lot of things that you you like. Because this is a guy that before last year was a 38% three-point shooter for his career. He was someone who averages 20 points per game for his career, got to the free throw line, you know, about six and a half times per game his last season when he was healthy. So there's a lot to like, but mm -hmm. how do you view that potential Sexton and Halliburton fit will basically go with? I, I like it. I, I like it. And I know right now it's, it's tricky to kind of look at like – the forest for the trees at the Pacers roster because they have Halliburton. They just drafted Mathurin. They have Buddy Heald on the roster. Chris Duarte is still here as well. Uh, Aaron Giesmith is probably going to show his worth with the Pacers because they're going to be entering like a pseudo retooling and rebuild. And I think this is a good opportunity for him to show that ability too. Uh, TJ McConnell still around as well. So like there's, there's names that could be ahead of Sexton in theory. But also, just with the Pacers situation, maybe you want a guy like Sexton who can be that like supercharged pseudo six man who can be that two guard off the bench. And I, I think, in theory at least, he play he pairs really well with Halliburton. I know a team like the Thunder. I've ta I talked to some folks just familiar with their thought process, and some folks within the Thunder organization like. If they had the financial wherewithal or the ability, they'd sign Colin because they like his fit with Shea Gilgis Alexander. Because if you look at it, if you have a bigger point guard, whether it's an SGA, whether it's a Tyrese Halliburton, guys like that like make sense next to Sexton because they can cover some of his defensive deficiencies. They can cover some of the playmaking issues that Sexton kind of has limitations with. I know, like you mentioned, he is a positive three-point shooter. I think the problem with Colin is he doesn't take enough three-pointers. Um, People like to point out, like, I like to point out, people kind of get on my case for that if he had more of Gary Trent Jr.'s shot profile, I think Colin Sexton would be a stud. And I think teams would be tripping over themselves and probably sign him if Cleveland hadn't signed him at this point. But if you look at a team like the Pacers, like, the fit does make sense. Like, Halliburton is a respectable shooter. Buddy Heald is known as a shooter. Quist Duarte is a re respectable shooter. Jalen Smith, in theory, shoots threes. Miles Turner can hit some three-pointers as well. Ben Ben Mathurin, like, he has the potential to be a good three-point shooter. Like, there's a lot of pieces here where maybe Sexton, even if he doesn't take a ton of threes on a night-to-night -night basis with the Pacers, he does have that ability. But I think the spacing around him that the Pacers can provide can kind of cover up for maybe the lack of three-point shooting. And also, defense is what the respect what Indiana has on the floor and kind of close them out on the perimeter and just be honest. And that gets going to give Sexton a ton of driving lanes where – he really thrives most using that strength and athleticism to get to the basket. And my uh, co-hosting colleague, Chris Manning, wrote about this really smartly a few years ago that 
like one of the big steps for Colin Sexton's game is, hey, he needs to start using this physicality and strength of his to get to the free throw line more often because he's a very, very good free throw shooter. And you saw that trend from Sexton's game and you saw it evolve. And I don't really want to put a huge boogaboo or onus on Sexton's just inability to take a ton of threes on a night-to-night basis because, let's be frank, coming into Alabama, he was not expected to be a three-point shooter. Maybe halfway into his rookie season, he was taking a lot of long twos to the frustration of Cavs fans and folks covering the team. And then after he was snubbed for the Rising Star game, he was able to start showcasing the fact that he's just bombs away from three, not bombs away, but he's hitting threes instead of taking those long twos. And then he, that just became part of his game. And Sexton's the type of dude where you can use those stereotypes like, Oh, he's a gym rat. First one in last one out kind of scenarios. But he's like that kind of dude where he lives, breathes and eats hoops. And he likes to play basketball and he likes to be, he's humble. He's quiet. He likes to put his head down and just play. And I think there's something endearing about him as a player. And to go back to the Pacers thing, like I said, I think right now, like you're saying, Halliburton is a, a surefire bet to be here long term. I'd say Benedict Mathurin is a surefire bet to be here for at least the foreseeable future as well. Um, Colin Sexton, if you wanted to commit serious money to him, you could have him be that pseudo kind of supercharged six man who can be your one, two off the bench and kind of plugs in nicely because, yes, Mathurin size wise is a two, but I was talking to your co host about this a little bit. With how positionless the game has become, I think if you just had the five best players on the floor, and like defensively, there's some questions, of course, but like if Mathurin gets better and kind of just adds some natural size through strength and conditioning, like you could play him as like a two three. Sexton has a one two. Halliburton could be a one two or possibly a three, depending on the lineups and scenarios. Like there's a lot of creative ways the Pacers could utilize Sexton. And I really like the fit. I, I think putting a bigger point guard next to him is key. And then you kind of figure out the next steps from there. And if you're a team like Indiana who is kind of figuring out their identity, maybe has a little bit of a runway to kind of rebuild and retool a little bit. You have that luxury where you can say, okay, if we brought Colin Sexton in, we have the luxury of time to kind of figure out his fit and where he fits in. So, cause we're not really like gunning for the playoffs, right? We're kind of more focused on not tanking, but Hey, if we ended up with a top lottery pick, we're also not super upset either. Yeah. I think that six man role is where I would feel more comfortable with if the Pacers were to make the move, because one of my biggest concerns is really taking the ball out of Tyrese Halliburton's hands. And I think that's kind of why Brogdon had to go was because we saw the fit and it felt like Halliburton wasn't able to truly be Halliburton with Brogdon being in the lineup. So, yeah, there would be that opportunity for Sexton to lead the second unit. I mean, I don't know what the money would end up being if the Cavs are mm-hmm. essentially offering a three-year $40 million deal. You would think the Pacers would easily be able to beat that offering, say, you know, $18 million per year. You know, we'll see if Rich Paul w- would be willing to, you know, take that. But also, you know, Clutch Sports has, has had um, a history of, of sometimes passing up some some real big offers like Nerland's Noel. So be curious to see what Sexton ends up settling for. But also, you got your Chris Duarte, you got your Bendik Matherin, where it just feels that they have this young core that I want to be able to see flourish together. And Sexton's still very young, about 24 years old, feels that, you know, he could be part of that. But I also mm-hmm. want to make sure there's still enough of a room to have, you know, Benedict Matherin be Benedict Matherin and not someone who has his minutes cut. Or Duarte, who last year, you know, was one of the best Pacer rookies that they've ever had. And he gets slept on. So it's we're very guard heavy now, need more wings. So I just wondered, you know, if, if this – fit could really um 
be able to enable, um, how do I want to put it, Colin Sexton to take his game to the next level. And what would you say would be the next level for Colin Sexton? Like like I said earlier, if he had something similar to Gary Trent Jr.'s shot chart, he'd be such a better player because there are times when you watch Colin bust his butt on offense and he, he tries his hardest on defense, but he's just a smaller player being forced to play the two and watching him kind of size up against like the James Hardens of the That's world and tough. so on. It's tough. But if he's able to take in, I would like to say make more threes because history shows that he's a pretty accurate three-point shooter. It will just make his life a lot easier on offense. He could get easier buckets that way. And I think it'll just make things easier for whatever team he plays for, whether it's the Cavs, the Pacers, the Spurs, any of the teams in the league at this point. Um, And not just that, but learning how to play off the ball too, I think is key. I think you're seeing a little bit of his struggles last year in Cleveland where they clearly had established Darius Garland as like the de facto point guard. He is the maestro of this offense. And that's something I kind of wonder with, and I wrote about this in an op-ed on sex and just like, where does he fit in all this? Like, how does he fit in, in a scenario where the Cavs are now more than saying, Hey, Darius, you are our guy at the point, like, or at the guard spot, just in general, we just paid you a max rookie scale, max contract extension, more money than LeBron James has ever signed for with us. Um, we, we want to put the ball in your hands and have you succeed. And I think you saw a little bit of it last year, especially when the Cavs are kind of figuring out this weird offensive identity of theirs where they're playing two seven-footers at the three – or sorry, three seven-footers at the three, yeah. four, and five. And, I mean, I guess Markinen is a spacer, but, like, Garland was really the maestro of how things worked. And you saw Sexton playing a lot off ball. You saw his numbers dip quite a bit, but – I think if he continued to learn and how to thrive in that scenario, and let's say he does take the qualifying offer with Cleveland this year and he tests the water of unrestricted free agency next offseason, like if he's able to prove to teams like, hey, I'm not a ball dominant one dimensional guy where like I need the ball in my hands in order to thrive, but like, hey, I can function off the ball if I spot up in the corner, if I act as a trailer, or if I'm like a guy who's just floating on the perimeter when somebody drives into the lane. Like there's different ways he could kind of evolve his game. And a lot of it, revolves on him kind of becoming more comfortable playing off ball. And you you mentioned like you don't want to take the ball out of Tyrese Halliburton's hands. I have similar sentiments of Darius Garland, but I think when you look at what, how the Cavs traded for Karis LeVert last year, having a guy who you can put the ball in his hands in certain scenarios or at times like Sexton kind of helps relieve pressure of like your lead point guard as well because Garland was showing some clear frustrations. I mean, a lot of it was back issues at the time too, just because he was having it tighten up just from that. But he was also playing 40 plus minutes a night and just being like the primary defensive focus. Like I think it was either the Warriors or the Pelicans really showed like how to, or it was the Bucks actually, sorry. They played Milwaukee during that stretch too. Where like Milwaukee showed a formula where Drew Holiday just quite frankly put Darius Garland in hell for 30 plus minutes and just locked him up and then shut down the Cavs offensively. And since Sexton is out, that kind of forced him to make that trade with Indiana to go get um, Karis LeVert. So having a guy like Sexton can kind of relieve some of the defensive pressure your defensive guard can have, but you want him feeling more comfortable contributing with the ball mostly not in his hands. But when there's scenarios, you have to kick the ball to him or you say like, hey, we're going to give Tyrese this this possession off and let you kind of run the offense or just maybe do something that's a little bit more structured. Colin also won't be overwhelmed by that either. And I think that's that's an added caveat and just kind of what you're learning him with him and watching him grow with. 
Yeah, no, it's a valid point right over there. And, you know, uh, you, you talked about Karis LeVert, a guy that the Pacers are very familiar with. Um, you know, while my co-host, Alex, while his second team is the Washington Wizards, a lot of our second team this year is going to be the Cleveland Cavaliers because due to the trade we made last year, we have a stake in what the Cavs are doing. And basically, let's let's sum up that trade last year. So the Pacers traded Karis LeVert to Cleveland and the Cavs sent over a protected, a lottery protected first round pick, Ricky Rubio's expiring contract, and the 31st overall pick, which ended up being Andrew Nemhard. Um, could you ever have predicted that a year later, you know, or in the next season, you would still have that first round pick? Ricky Rubio's back in Cleveland, and you ended up missing the playoffs because the Cavs were the third seed at the time of this trade. So I was actually talking to somebody in Cleveland's front office about this once the season was kind of winding down, and I think Golden State was closing in on a championship over Boston. Um, yes, it would have been remiss of the Cavs to not have done their due diligence and their homework on this draft class just in case this were to happen. But at the time, like you said, they were the third best team record-wise in the Eastern Conference, and that was already surprising in itself because this Cavs team was projected to win like 26-ish games last season, and they – more than exceeded expectations and especially after Colin Sexton went down and Ricky Rubio went down like they they started to show cracks in their foundation and maybe started to show their lack of experience especially when things got really tight in the playing tournament or I remember when they lost an ugly ugly game to the Detroit Pistons towards the end of the season Darius Garland kind of lashed out at the media saying like hey we've never been here before and he's like yeah I'm frustrated and he's like I promise you like we're gonna come out ready to play and I think they blew the doors off whoever they played the following night because it was a back-to-back but either way um I was surprised they had the 14th pick this year for sure just because of how the season ended. I'm also not surprised just because how injured and banged up they were because Garland had those back issues all year long. Jared Allen was playing through a broken finger during the play-in tournament. Evan Mobley was in and out due to an elbow injury and just a couple other random things towards the end of the season as well. Like, there's just a lot of unfortunate things. COVID hit this team a lot too. So, like, there's just a lot of adversity this Cavs team faced that was kind of out of their own control. But in terms of this trade, I think at least heading into this year, I'd feel more comfortable saying that the Pacers will be picking on Cleveland's behalf in the first round in this up and like next summer's draft, but you never know what happens. But I'm just, I, I feel comfortable saying that because I think Darius Garland has another leap to him. I don't think it's going to be quite as dramatic as his third year leap, but there's something more to him because he's young and an all-star and the Cavs just <laughs> signed to him financially the face of the franchise status. Evan Lilly is obviously going to get better because he's entering his sophomore season. I think Jared Allen is going to continue to grow and level up, even though he's a big man, but he's like showing a lot of just unique things where like he jokes about shooting three pointers or the fact that he like was forced to switch on the perimeter at times. Like there's a lot of unique things and there's like Larry Markinen's pretty solid for Cleveland. I'd say Kevin Love, I don't think is going to have the same swan song six, six man season. I think he's going to be pretty solid next season as well. Just in his role, I think, Ochai Abaji is going to be very good. I think Isaac Okoro will be interesting. I think Karis LeVert, I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because a guy with foot injuries ended up having a, a history of foot injuries ended up having a foot injury with Cleveland, which is unfortunate. But I think I'm going to give the benefit, him the benefit of the doubt of being healthy, getting comfortable with this team, and having a full training camp and the ability to practice with his Cavs squad to kind of like show his mental, show his worth. And then if it doesn't work out, um, one, there's a reason why I'm not in a basketball front office, but two, the Cavs will 
cross that bridge when they come to it. But Rubio eventually will get healthy. I like the Neto pickup. Like the Cavs, I think, addressed a lot of their offseason concerns and needs. Like I don't think they fully addressed them, obviously. I think there's only so much you can do when you're limited roster-wise and financially. But in regards to that draft pick and revisiting the trade, it is funny because Rubio is now back with the Cavs. They kept the first-round pick. They more or less got Karius LeVert for next to nothing. I think like Andrew Nemhart's going to be a pretty good player for the Pacers. Like I was high on him when he was in college, and like I think he's going to be a fun player overall. But he'll be interesting to see just kind of how he develops and grows. And I think like losing that pick kind of stung if you're Cleveland because if you're able to utilize those second rounders to add depth, it's always a good way to do it. But um, I feel pretty comfortable in saying just at least it feels safe to assume that the the Pacers will be picking on Cleveland's behalf and they'll get a probably pretty nice mid-round first player for their troubles for the uh, whole Karis LeVert trade. Yeah, no, we are definitely looking forward to it because, man, there was a scenario last year where in a perfect world it could have been, you know, pick 15 or 16 and, you know, basically 31. And that would have been a home run deal for LeVert, which at one point the Pacers did not know what they'd be able to get for him. They were asking for two first round picks, which, Seemed like a lot, but if you had gotten 15 and 31, you basically accomplished that. So uh, I'm excited about Nemhard. I, th- I think, uh, you know, next next season's really going to be almost kind of like an internship for him. It's going to take some time, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I do like uh, the promise that he brings to the table. But overall, basically, you know, as, as we wrap, I mean, tell me, Karis LeVert, uh, do you feel that he was as advertised? Were you hoping for more? Do you... Do you feel it's going to work out? Because from a Pacer standpoint, we had high expectations for Levert. Unfortunately, you know, there's a couple injuries over there, and, and whatever it was, it just seemed that he just wasn't able to kind of um, be the same player that he was the previous year when we thought that he had all-star level potential. It feels like with the Cavs, he's more bought into, hey, if he needs to come off the bench, he can come off the bench. But with the Pacers, it didn't seem like that was going to happen. I know he's from the, the the Ohio area, so I'm sure he, he very much enjoyed being able to go over to Cleveland. But what's your gut call uh, for that next level for Levert? Is this just kind of who he is, or is there a next level? Uh, like I said, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think fans who were kind of thinking, hey, Karis Levert's going to be our immediate Colin Sexton replacement. I think that's there are some apples to apples in terms of their just overall play style, but like it's apples to bananas in terms of fit. Where like there were questions about Sexton's fit. I think there's fair questions about Levert's fit too. But like at least Sexton had the luxury of understanding this roster and some of the guys on it. Like Levert came into this situation, uh played a couple a handful of games, I want to say, then was out for the better part of a month with a foot injury. And just because he joined midseason and missing all that valuable on-court experience with the Cavs, um, because teams, frankly, just don't practice that much middle of the season. A lot of it's just film study and just doing walkthroughs and just kind of getting their bodies right and just doing cooldowns and reps and just making sure everybody's physically good to go to handle this 82-game grind. Like It's tricky because he kind of fell flat in Cleveland, I think. Fans were very disappointed. They feel like it was a huge loss. I wouldn't say huge loss because Ricky Rubio was had a torn ACL and he's rehabbing in Spain. So like it wasn't he was it wasn't like he was gonna suit up. And at the time, like we talked about the Cavs 
were one of the best teams in the East at the time. And like that first round pick didn't seem like it was going to be available. So it was like a small consolation prize that Levert didn't work out that the Cavs got that first round pick back, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I wouldn't say all-star level potential, but he did share with the media, like during his introductory presser, like, Hey, I did grow up a Cavs fan. Like I am from Ohio. Like this is a bit of a homecoming for me. This is cool. He, more than anything, was excited to play Jared Allen again after their time getting together in Brooklyn. They like talked about how they really wanted to incorporate the pick and roll into their games and just kind of run those lob throughout passes they did with the Nets all the time. But I think I wouldn't say the ship has sailed necessarily on Levert. I think the Cavs are willing to give him the runway to showcase, like, hey, this is why we traded for you. We'd like to keep you, blah, blah, blah. I think for now, at least, it's not written in ink. It's written in pencil. That he's penciled in as the starting two guard for the Cavs, regardless of whether or not Colin Sexton's back. Like, they, the first time they played Garland, Levert, Mark, and Mobley, Allen was against the Hawks, like, towards the very end. Of, or no, it was in the play-in tournament. It was the first time they played together. So... They don't have that on-court experience, but maybe they figure it out in camp and then the Cavs just quietly observe and see, like, okay, this is a good fit. Let's sign him to an extension before the extension deadline. Um, Or if he's not really a fit, if it's still kind of a bit of a clunky issue, if, like, there's some problems, like you said, he's willing to come off the bench, which I think helps a lot too. But, like, let's say he's starting and just it, it mucks up the lineup or – Let's say Ochai Abaji's just like an absolute baller, an absolute stud, or like Isaac Okoro comes out guns blazing from three-point range or just becomes a respectable three-point shooter. Let's just walk before we crawl with it or run with him. And then maybe if you're Cleveland, you explore trading him because let's be frank, he's making $18.5 million next year. And in theory, at least, he fits that wing mold where maybe there's a team out there who could believe, hey, he's healthy enough. We can buy in on his upside. We think he could be the piece that pushes us over the edge to either make the playoffs or win the championship. Like the playoffs, like Cleveland was last year, a championship, like say like a team like Boston or Golden State thinks Leverage the piece. If they're able to come to a trade that helps or that Cleveland agrees to, like that's an expiring contract for them. But I would say it was a little disappointing last season, but it was a lot of situations that just were unfortunately out of control. And like I've said before, a guy with a history of foot injuries in the past unfortunately had another foot injury when he came with the Cavs. And I think him missing that month really just threw a wrench in everything. And the Cavs were just trying to be as healthy as possible when they got to um, the playing tournament. And they kind of were, but they kind of weren't. And now they're just kind of shifting focus next season. Hey, regardless, the future is bright for the Cavs. I like what you guys have going on. A lot of Pacer fans wanted Isaac Okoro in that deal. I know it didn't work out that way, but at the same point, if this pick does materialize, um, I think the Pacer fans are going to be very happy because that would be, you know, it'd be three first-round picks for the Pacers as we own our own Boston's pick, and we're hoping you guys finally fork over that first-rounder. So. <laughs> As we wrap up over here, Evan, tell everybody where they could find you on social media and some of the awesome content you have going on. Well, thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. But you could my 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 handle's simple. It's am not Evan. That's Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Like if you want to follow me on there, just check out the pics of my life. But I run the show three to four to five times a week at Meta Bulletins right down Euclid covering Cleveland sports at large. The the Guardians being the first place team in the Central is kind of exciting. The Cavs being back soon is exciting. The the Browns are mystifyingly frustrating and just gross overall. We'll just put it that way. And um if you like to hear me talk about the Cavs more, um 
You can come check me out at Locked On Cast five days a week. We're on YouTube in video form. We're on audio anywhere you can get your podcasts. Just just come say hey. Uh, come hang out for a while. And yeah, just thanks again for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Evan. We'll definitely have to have you back on if anything ever does materialize between Colin Sexton and the Pacers. Or maybe just, uh, you know, when it seems like that pick is materializing our way. But thank you very much for coming on. Keep up the awesome work. And uh, we'll be sure to talk soon. Shout out to Evan for breaking it down. If you need to know anything about Colin, Sachs, Colin Sexton or Cavs related, you want to go to Evan Damerel over at uh, Locked on Cavs. So great coverage over there. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. You know, something to think about because, man, what are we going to do with all that remaining money? About a year ago, I was pretty high on Colin Sexton. A year later, I can't say that I am. I just feel like, you got an undersized guard here at 6'1". You got someone who, you know, played 82 games and 65, then 60, then 11, not really training, uh, trending in the direction that you want to see. But also, I don't know about you guys, I am just very protective of my Tyrese Halliburton, and I don't want people taking the ball out of his hands. So if it's Sexton in a six-man role, I'm more open to it. If it's starting alongside Tyrese Halliburton, then... I don't know, man. I, I want to see Duarte and Matherin flourish a bit more. So love to hear your guys' thoughts on this pairing. If it makes sense, if we should at least throw out an offer sheet, maybe the Cavs match, maybe they don't. Or if you're like, absolutely not, stay away from Colin Sexton. I want to hear about it. But you could check us out on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You could check Alex out on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I could be checked out on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. Find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. Find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. Find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And you could check us out on YouTube at Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. So YouTube.com slash Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. Uh, subscribe, please. Give us a watch. We're going to be having uh, some good content coming up, including Andrew Nemhard making, man, I'd like to say maybe his. Uh, his podcast debut, we really haven't heard any interviews out, so I think that this is going to be a real fun one. So you're going to want to check that out. YouTube.com slash Setting the Pace of Pacers Podcast. And at the end of the day, if you're just ready to see some Pacer basketball, hit me with a Let's Go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast, sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop, smooth. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.